Ukrainians from Leeds, England, from their CD Vorona, which means crows, and that was Serce i Dushem, Heart and Soul. Vitaya vas vsih dorehi radio suhechi na radio peredachu nash holos radio krinskoho korinya. Primikrofoni palvina diakuyu shtorishale perebutazimnoyu nastupnu hudenu. Hello there and welcome to Nash Holos Ukrainian Roots Radio. I'm your host, Pavina, and I'm delighted to have you with me this hour. We've got a great program lined up for you, pretty packed with information. We have an interview with Alti Rodal, who is the co-director of the Ukrainian Jewish Encounter, and she'll be talking about some of the exciting current projects that organization is involved in. As well, part one of a long-promised and long-overdue three-part series on the Kuban Cossacks. As well, we'll have our usual proverb of the week, other items of interest, and great Ukrainian music. And coming up next is Kiev Orchestrio with Madalena. to the foresight and generosity of its donors, the Taras Shevchenko Foundation has been investing in the future of the Ukrainian-Canadian community for over 50 years. Since 1963, the Taras Shevchenko Foundation has been funding initiatives that strengthen our Ukrainian-Canadian identity and enhance our Ukrainian-Canadian cultural heritage. These include fine and performing arts and arts groups, museums, cultural centers, education, as well as authors, journalists, and the Ukrainian-Canadian media, including this program. The Foundation strives to become the premier not-for-profit foundation in a Canada which acknowledges the Ukrainian-Canadian community as a fundamental component of Canadian society. Nash Hollis listeners are encouraged to support this vision through continued donations into the future. To apply for grants, make a donation, or for more information, visit ShochenkoFoundation.com. And now for a look at Ukraine's rich Jewish heritage, then and now, brought to you by the Ukrainian Jewish Encounter based in Toronto, Ontario. If you're a regular listener to Nash Holos, you'll be very familiar with the name Ukrainian Jewish Encounter. This Toronto-based, privately organized multinational initiative sponsors the long-running series on the show, Ukrainian Jewish Heritage. This series of vignettes, cultural capsules, and interviews has opened a window on this hitherto little-known aspect of the Ukrainian experience. Ukrainian Jewish Encounter, or UJE, engages scholars, civic leaders, artists, governments, and the broader public throughout Ukraine, Israel, and the diasporas. It organizes many conferences that facilitate broader dialogue and understanding, as well as public education projects. One such project is an exhibition entitled A Journey Through the Ukrainian-Jewish Encounter from Antiquity to 1914. 
This exhibit was created by UJE and co-funded by Citizenship and Immigration Canada. It premiered in Toronto in 2015 and also travelled to Winnipeg and Edmonton. This project is far from finished, however. Alti Rodol is co-director of the Ukrainian Jewish Encounter. She is a historian, writer, former professor of Jewish history, and official advisor to the Government of Canada. She was educated at McGill, Oxford, and Hebrew universities in history and literature. Her research and writing has focused on aspects of identity, Jewish history and culture, and intercommunal relations. I recently had the privilege and pleasure to speak with Alti on Skype to find out what has happened since with this exhibit, as well as some exciting collaborative developments on the horizon. Welcome back to Nash Holos, Alti. Thank you. Well, it's just great to have you, and I know that it's been a while since we've spoken, and you've been very busy since then on this project. So I take it that went well. Uh, yes, yes, it went uh, very well. Uh, I just want to point out uh, your introduction was uh, beautiful. I would add, though, that the exhibit also came to Montreal in both English and French. And uh, it was held in two locations. Uh, The core exhibit uh, was in a building, a heritage building, which used to be a prominent synagogue in downtown Montreal. And uh, interestingly, uh, is now the home of the Ukrainian National Federation of Canada. Isn't that an interesting coincidence? (laughs) Yes. And uh, Ukrainian Canadians who have lived in Montreal will remember it as the place where they, especially when they were teenagers, the place where they would go for for dances and so on. Yeah. (laughs) And the other part of the uh, 2015 exhibit uh, was held at the Jewish Public Library and what's interesting about that is that uh, uh, the library has a, a, a very impressive collection of uh, rare books printed in Ukraine in the from the 18th century on. Wow! And they brought these out in display cases uh, in conjunction with our exhibit. Uh, we prepared a few exhibit panels on Hebrew Yiddish printing in Ukraine, and they added the actual um, uh, books that were printed in Ukraine. Uh, so that was an interesting addition in Montreal. Very interesting. I think a new topic for me for uh, for this series, Ukrainian Jewish Heritage. Uh, who knew about uh, Ukrainian and Yiddish printing? Uh, well, there's a lot to be said there. Yeah, yeah. But uh, for another time, uh, for now, though, um, you've had quite a bit of success with that exhibit. I was sad that it didn't come out here to the West Coast. Well, I should mention that uh, we had uh, expressions of interest uh, from a number of cities that we bring the that traveling exhibit to their communities. It was always uh, intended for uh, community centers or venues that are not museums oh, wow. uh, and, as such. Uh, and uh, um, the exhibit in the Canadian venues was really very well received and word got around. And uh, there was interest in New York, both from the Ukrainian Museum there and the Jewish Museum to do something jointly. Uh, There was interest in Chicago and in California. We put those uh, requests on hold because at the same time, there was also uh, interest from the Royal Ontario Museum in Toronto. And uh, we put together a proposal which they accepted. And uh, we've been working uh, with the ROM now on such an exhibit uh, planned for the early part of 2020. And it's quite exciting to see uh, how the potential that a museum can bring to an exhibit is being applied to the themes and stories uh, that we had in our community exhibit. What do you mean? Oh, talking about artifacts in particular, Mm -hmm. uh, but Mm -hmm. also in animating the story of the encounter in ways which are very concrete and vivid and engaging for people of all ages. Uh, For example, recreating a marketplace or a tavern or having a road that with signs to the different points of interest and life in a shtetl, which means a small village. Mm -hmm. And this this is uh, quite interesting for someone who is more used to text and uh, and even images. Our exhibit in 2015 uh, was really um, limited to 
a series of exhibit panels, which we tried to also enliven with a number of videos, which brought uh, sound and uh, music uh, and more moving images uh, to, to the exhibit. And I think that worked very well, but there's so much more potential that uh, experts in museum displays can bring to such reaching out to a larger public. Oh, for sure. And museums have certainly come a long way since you and I were very young, definitely. Yes, for sure. So it was very popular, you were saying, and you got a lot of good feedback on the exhibit. And you're doing something else about it. You're not part of the feedback, which was a kind of refrain that we heard from visitors, uh, both during their visit to the exhibits and also the notes that they left for us and, and emails and uh, the visitors' books. Uh, will there be a catalog? Is there a catalog? Mm-hmm. They, they really wanted to have a catalog. Mm-hmm. And uh, uh, my colleague, Raya Shadursky from the Ukrainian Jewish Encounter, I kept this uh, interest in mind and just uh, in recent months uh, brought the idea forward that we should still produce such a catalog book because uh, the ROM is doing its own exhibit and it will have its own catalog and it would be a shame not to have some continuity from what we had done uh, two years ago. Indeed. So uh, this is now an illustrated book. I call it a booklet because it's not that many pages and there's not that much text. But there are many images, and uh, it's beautifully produced. Uh, the designers were very uh, impressive in, in how they put this together. It's really uh, hugely appreciated, and uh, it's going to be published in English and in Ukrainian, uh, hopefully by this summer. Yes, and... I think it can be called a book because it is really a beautiful piece of work. And, uh, I want to thank you for sending me the first or the most recent draft, which certainly looks like it's ready to go to, uh, to print right now. It, uh, the, the images are stunning. Uh, the text is really, uh, it's, it's perfect because it's not too long. It's not too short. And it does tend to, um, to evoke interest in finding out more. Um, to you know, to go and uh, read a book with more detail. Mm-hmm. The uh, aim we had in putting it together is to include uh, the different perspectives on issues. It's not only chronological; it also treats themes. And on these themes, there are different narratives, and we bring them together in in one text uh, for people to appreciate the perspectives that they're not familiar with. And this is what I think piques curiosity. And uh, we have in the back further readings. And also our website will be carrying additional information on these themes and particular presentations uh, on these themes. Uh, so the, uh, the aim is indeed for this to be an entry point into uh, appreciating the very rich Ukrainian and Jewish heritages and the encounter between the two. What is really good, and I'd like to compliment you certainly on uh, whoever was writing the text, but it, it is, um, as I'd said before, thought provoking, but it's all, it's very fair and it's very balanced and very compassionate to both parties. And it really does, I think, I came away with a sense, um, of, uh, you know, reconciliation between the two is very, you know, very possible and very exciting journey that is being embarked on. So, and it, it invites the public to join on this exciting journey. So I'm um, looking forward to when that book will be available. Yes, I should mention also uh, that uh, though I actually am the person who wrote the text, it did go through nine or 10 scholars, Ukrainian, Jewish, and other experts on the different periods. And their input was very interesting and valuable so that it's, uh, in a sense, a, a product of, of the different perspectives. Well, that just underscores, that confirms what I just said then about um, the exciting opportunity now and, and the um, the foundation is built for this great dialogue. And I think perhaps we can even set uh, an example, I hope not too conceited to say this, but set an example for other communities that are in, that have been in conflict in the past because I got a sense that, you know, that is in the past and now we're on a new a new path to 
learn about the past, but also to forge new relationships, new alliances, and learn new things going forward together and building a new society, perhaps, um, just a better world together. So, yeah, very exciting. There is certainly a uh, segment of the Ukrainian population now, in particular the younger generation, who are hungry for such a bringing together of these two histories and addressing issues that uh, have been difficult and painful and uh, controversial. Mm -hmm. I should mention that the exhibit in 2015 and the booklet uh, is from ancient times to 1914. Mm -hmm. uh, so it doesn't treat the issues that are the most difficult issues of, of the 20th century. And um, it is our intent to follow up with that portion of the history as well. But in the meantime, we felt it was so important for gaining an appreciation of the very long history up to 1914, because the events of the 20th century overwhelm that history and, and people forget about it mm -hmm. and just mm -hmm. focus on uh, the, you know, the pogroms of 1919 and the uh, World War II horrific events. Uh, those are not to be erased and whitewashed and forgotten, uh, but at the same time, nor should the long history of coexistence. No, and uh, certainly it, it helps to put uh, the events of the 20th century in perspective. It, it you know, kind of builds a foundation of understanding to know that history. And yes, and the other, the other attempt that I think we succeeded in conveying, the theme that we wanted to convey was the, the broader context the other peoples that were part of the story, the forces that were beyond the whatever Jews and Ukrainians did, the, the world forces, the Eastern European history, the different empires and uh, wars. and I mean, all these are contexts that shaped the relationship between Jews and Ukrainians. Now, this the book is coming out in the summer. Uh, where is the exhibit? Has it been dismantled? The exhibit panels sit in a storage place, <laughs> and uh, we're deciding what to do with them. W with the booklet, with the book that we've produced, uh, we've found additional beautiful images and, uh, uh, and also modified the text somewhat and added and uh, improved it. Every time I read the text, I, I, mm -hmm. I find things that could be said even better. Mm -hmm. So the, the panels are there, and uh, they're pretty good as they are as well. And uh, we're, we're prepared to show them as they are. And uh, some got damaged, of course, in the course of their travels sure. and they were produced. So uh, they're there. And at the same time, there is a new uh, development uh, which uh, has to do with a project that UJE has launched very recently. It's at an early stage, and that is to bring content on Jewish history and Jewish heritage in Ukraine to Ukrainian museums in Ukraine. And uh, the museums that have been approached and have seen the 2015 exhibit panels love them as they are and, and are asking for them to come. We have plans to bring an adaptation of the 2015 exhibit in Ukrainian and in English, a bilingual version, to the Lviv Historical Museum in the spring of 2019. Wow. And other yeah. other museum directors have approached us as well. So because it's so early, I, I won't talk about it yet, mm -hmm. uh, but the interest is there and it goes very well together with other goals in the Ukrainian Jewish Encounters mission, which have to do with uh, education and commemoration. Excellent. I'm speaking with Alti Rodol, a historian and expert on Jewish history and culture and co-director of Ukrainian Jewish Encounter, which sponsors Ukrainian Jewish heritage here on Nasholos Ukrainian Roots Radio. Join us next week for part two of this interview to find out about some of the exciting museum projects UJE is coordinating in Ukraine. So until then, Shalom. 
Ukrainian Jewish Heritage is brought to you by the Ukrainian Jewish Encounter, based in Toronto, Ontario. To find out more about their work, visit their website and follow them on Facebook and Twitter. Transcripts and audio files of this and earlier broadcasts of Ukrainian Jewish Heritage are available at their website, ukrainianjewishencounter.org, as well as at the Nasholos website, www.nasholos.com. Ви слухаєте радіопередачу «Наш голос» радіо Українського коріння на багатомовній радіостанції AM 1320CHMB у місті Ванкувері. При мікрофоні Павліна. You're listening to Nash Holos Ukrainian Roots Radio on AM 1320CHMB, Vancouver. I'm your host, Pavlina. Coming up next is part one of a three-part series on the Kuban Cossacks, narrated by Nadia Kazimira. Вже минає 60 років, відколи кубанські козаки, група танцю і пісні вперше проявилися на сценах Австралії. Вони захопили глядачів від перших виступів своїми енергійними танцями і жвавою музикою, яка привернула увагу до історії Кубані та до нащадків запорозьких козаків. Самі родом з Кубані цей ансамбль «Кубанські козаки» був створений трьома молодими українцями – Василем Коловиленком та братами Олександром та Миколою Кумпан в Мельбурні в Австралії в 1956 році. Хлопці приїхали з батьками до Австралії після втечі на Захід наслідком Другої світової війни. Виступали по Австралії як аматорська танцювальна група на різних фестивалях, аж появилася можливість виїхати до Європи в 1959 році. The nucleus of the dancing group, which became known as the Kuban Cossacks, had its beginnings in Melbourne, Australia, at St. Luke's Hall, the site of the first Ukrainian club, where young refugees socialized and learned Ukrainian dance, music, and song. The song that you just heard became the ensemble's signature song. The Kuban Cossacks' three founding principal members, Vasil Kovalenko, Mikola Kumpan, and Alexander, known as Sashko Kumpan, born in Kuban, found refuge in Australia at the end of the Second World War. They each possessed a passion for dancing. This love of dance ultimately led them to Alexander Karasyov, an eminent ballet master and choreographer, and there they met. Karasyov provided his dance students with a rigorous, very disciplined training. He introduced Vasil, Mikola, and Sashko to the art of Ukrainian Cossack dancing, as well as to the intricacies of Tartar, Gypsy, Moldovan, Georgian, and other dance disciplines. While the initial foundation of the Kuban Cossacks act was Ukrainian dance and later music, They recognized that versatility, adaptation, and constant development of their programs was required to reach a wider audience and keep their performances fresh and vibrant. Ти не волі, браті, розмовляти, хай 
Василь, Микола і Сашко рівно вчилися українського співу і гри на музичних інструментах. Василь Коваленко вивчив гру на гітарі у Дмитра Мушняги в Мельборні, який став музичним директором кубанських козаків у 1960-х роках. Він оформлював українську музику для ширшої світової громади. Микола Компан вивчив гру на кордіоні, якою чарував глядачів своєю досконалою технікою. А Сашко Кумпан привернув увагу своїм голосом. Прозвучала пісня про Гамалію до слів Тараса Шевченка. Музика та оформлення пісні Гамалії були Дмитра Мушняги. Соліст Сашко Кумпан у супроводі Василя Коваленка і Миколи Кумпан. You heard Сашко, Василь and Микола sing Дмитро Мушняга's dynamic arrangement of the song Гамалія written to Taras Shevchenko's epic poem about the fearless, freedom-loving Cossacks led by Ottoman Hamelia. So how did the ensemble evolve onto the road to professionalism? As Vasil Kovalenko so aptly stated, To help us with our studies, we performed our Cossack dance at nightclubs, for which we were paid. Since we love to dance, what could have been a better arrangement? In those days, clubs had a live orchestra with accordion. Most of these musicians were new immigrants to Australia, and many were familiar with the hopak and other Ukrainian melodies. So all we had to do was give the right tempo, and off we'd go like kangaroos with their tails on fire. What pushed the group to test their luck overseas in Europe? First, the recently established Australian Television 7 Network which had transmitted the 1956 Summer Olympics in Melbourne, was preparing a celebration of its successful first year. Seeing an opportunity, Vasil Kovalenko offered the Kuban Cossacks Act for this celebratory program. And the following day of their TV performance, they were in receipt of an engagement offer sent to them by telegram from the program director of the Tivoli Entertainment Circuit. У 1957 році Василь звернувся до новоствореного телебачення, яке поширювало першу Олімпіаду в Австралії в Мельбурні, і питався, чи воно зацікавлено козаками та танцюристами? І так, через запрошення на телевізійну програму Channel 7's First Birthday, група козаків-танцюристів стала більш відомою в Австралії особливо коли їх побачив директор театрів Тиволі в Австралії і їм запропонував виступи. Ой, джуне, джуне, я хотів не дашо, перед педапанасам заєздашо, перед педапанасам заєздашо. Hey, 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 hey,
Entertainment Circuit was a major outlet promoting both local and international artists and a broad spectrum of variety, dance, and comedy acts across Australia. Following their television performances, Vassil, Mikola, and Sashko were offered a spot in the show Femme et Furs, sparkling production on the Tivoli Theatre Circuit. This contract led to other offers, including the Checkers Club in Sydney and elsewhere in Australia in 1957 and 1958. Over this period, the young men honed their skills, providing one or two dazzling, high-energy dance routines mixed per show with music. Let's listen to Vasil Kovalenko recall the fatherly advice received once the group had two contracts in their hands and decided to seek their fortune in Europe. Prahando je Vasil Kovalenko rišenja hrupe vejihate do Evrope, Та підтримку і пораду обох батьків, свого і братів кумпан. Наші батьки нам сказали, пан кумпан старий, значить, куманський казах сказав, ну, їдьте в світ, хлопці, і не забувайте, що ви є українці, що ви є куманські козаки, і не соромтеся цього, і не, тобто не соромтеся і не засоромте себе. А мій батько сказав, ну, Їдьте, танцюйте, але не за сухарики. Ну, ми це, так би сказати, разом поєднали. Музика, шум, дим, все, що хочете, правда? Бо хочеш чи не хочеш, серце є, де ти народився. І на тому кінець. Never forget who you are. Do not shame your name. Remember that you are Ukrainians. You are real Kuban Cossacks. And half-jokingly, don't dance for them for peanuts. Lily Kovalenko, Vasil's wife, whose voice you heard, concurred. And she said, an individual can do nothing about it. Your heart always remains where you were born, whether you will it or not. And that is just how it is. Ось тільки в 1959 році, коли хлопці виїхали з Австралії, ця музична група трьох танцюристів-співаків – стало себе професійно називати «кубанські козаки». Перед тим часто себе представляли як тянтюристи-козаки. Зі собою взяли свою любов до кубанської традиції в співі, музиці і танцях, яку бажали прославити і поширити. Кубанські козаки виїхали перше до Голяндії, а опісля поїхали до Англії, щоб розвинути свою майбутність на міжнародній сцені – Головно у театрах, де завжди привертали увагу до свого кореня, де б вони не виступали.
That was Mikula Kumpan, dazzling with his accordion solo playing Flick Flack by German jazz accordionist, bandleader, and composer Albert Vossen. A crowd pleaser, this solo gave the dancers a chance to catch their breath before the next acrobatic feat. The three men were interested in the world of entertainment and show business, which they courted eagerly from the very beginning. The Kuban Cossack's first European appearance in 1959 began with a five-month run at the Royal Theatre Carré in Amsterdam as part of the comic Schnipp and Schnapp review. Then followed a five-month tour of Holland with 342 performances. That's at least two performances daily for the Kuban Cossacks. And soon, impresario Albert Tavel and Felix Mariani of the Albert Tavel Mariani Agency in Paris and Jaime Zal from London's Foster's Agency arrived, negotiated, and struck a deal which would lead to many future engagements. Sashko Kumpan sing Oitediv Chenus Huricha Zerna, O You Most Beautiful Girl. This was Ivan Franko's poem set to music by Dmitro Mushnyaha for the Kuban Cossacks, with English lyrics by Camilla Chance. The next stop after the Netherlands for the Kuban Cossacks was England. After seeing their Amsterdam debut, James Brennan, the well known British businessman from Blackpool, the seaside mecca of entertainment, offered them a spot during the 22-week summer season at his Queen's Theatre. Blackpool changed the Kuban Cossacks' theatrical course forever and ushered their meteoric rise in the industry. The British public was enchanted by their spectacular and exhilarating, fast-moving musical review, which broke attendance records at Queen's Theatre. With 243 performances, there was no turning back for the Kuban Cossacks. Imbued with this wondrous reception, the ensemble expanded their program repertoire, which eventually included more dancers, singers, and orchestral musicians. The act was disciplined and rehearsed prolifically to deliver top-quality entertainment.
Following Blackpool, the Kuban Cossacks chose London, England as their home base, which would launch many performances in the 1960s. Here's a 1962 announcement from Billy Cotton, the larger-than-life Cockney character introducing the Kuban Cossacks on his BBC radio show. At its peak in the early 1960s, the show had an audience of 20 million and regular guests included Dionne Warwick, Cliff Richard, Tom Jones, Lulu, and the Kuban Cossacks. Now, ladies and gentlemen, last Sunday we had the pleasure of the company of the famous Kuban Cossacks on our television show. Apart from their jumping around and breaking their necks, they've got a very nice line in singing and playing. So, as they had no girls to meet today, because the girls can't understand their language until I interpret for them, they've agreed to come along here and entertain you for a few minutes. So, give a nice welcome to the Kuban Cossacks. And by the mid-1960s, Paris, France became another base for the Kuban Cossacks, in addition to London, England. The Kuban Cossacks performed nightly at Cheiras Poutine, the renowned cabaret nightclub on the Champs-Élysées. Here they dazzled their audiences with bravura performances, with song and dance. What started as one contract would turn into on and off very successful engagements for many, many years. In short, as artists and entertainers, the Kuban Cossacks wanted to electrify the stage with their entertainment while earning steady remuneration and confirming their next gig. Vasil Kovalenko became the group's director and negotiated the first of many contracts with impresarios, such as Sol Shapiro of the William Morris Agency, with whom they had an exclusivity contract. Ultimately, the Kuban Cossacks became internationally known of a particular form of entertainment. Besides Ukrainian Cossack dance and music of the Kuban region and other parts of Ukraine, they also incorporated music of Broadway, or the hit parade in their shows along with humorous banter. Over the years, they included many singers, dancers, and musicians in their shows. In particular, the swinging big band sound was incorporated in their performances, with compositions and arrangements written specifically for their routines. The Kuban Cossacks worked closely with many notable orchestras. For example, Stanley Black, Joe Loss, Val Parnell, Ami Barelli, and Sidney Lipton are living legends of the big band sound as jazz musicians, arrangers, and band leaders. And the Kuban Cossacks collaborated with them. They were their colleagues. Costumes, special lighting, and sound effects added to their glittering performances. So it comes as no surprise that based on their vision, business acumen, talent, and skill, the Kuban Cossacks performed for over 35 years worldwide in all major centers of entertainment before throngs of spellbound admirers. their early efforts in Europe, the dynamic, action-filled performances of the Kuban Cossacks appeared from London to Paris, Madrid, Barcelona, Copenhagen, Geneva, Monte Carlo, Tokyo, New York to Las Vegas, and many, many places between. The 1960s saw them perform in various cabarets, nightclubs, television shows, casinos, and giving royal command performances in Monaco. The Kuban Cossacks literally danced their way around the world, as some entertainment tabloids advertised, and travel they did, crisscrossing the continents, appearing back in Australia, North America, Europe, and parts of Asia. By this time, the Kuban Cossacks' show, running 45 to 60 minutes, included additional dancers, singers, and musicians. Depending on the show, over the years, there were up to 30 additional persons which were added to the Kuban Cossack performances, most of whom were not Ukrainian, but had the skill and stage presence to ensure the show's success. 
Scores of critics paid tribute to their stage performances as swordsmen, dancers, singers, and instrumentalists. Unique and original often resonated in the reviews, as did references to their spectacular, fast-paced performances. The promoters plied the media with everything at their disposal to bring in the crowds, and they came and left thrilled. Appearances included starring at the Chicago International Trade Fair, on Broadway at the New York's Latin Quarter, lengthy seasons in nightclubs in Texas and Nevada. For example, in Las Vegas's Tropicana Hotel, they gave 1,506 performances without a day off. Really a remarkable feat of endurance. They also gave over 200 performances on weekly television variety shows, such as The Ed Sullivan Show with Bob Hope and The Hollywood Palace Sunday Night at the London Palladium, just to name a few. Let's listen to a few of these notable announcements. The Ed Sullivan Show. The sensational Kuban Cossack Ukrainian songsters, swordsmen, dancers, and instrumentalists first met at the Olympic Games in Australia. And when Mr. Sullivan and I were in Monte Carlo, we saw them for the first time, and I signed them instantly. So here are the Kuban Cossacks, who were named after the River Kuban in the Ukraine. Gentlemen! Eddie Fisher hosting the Hollywood Palace TV show. I think we better get started right now, and I can't think of a better way than with the famous Cuban Cossacks and from the wild steppes of the Ukraine. Never been there, but... And they really do some wild steps. Here they are, the Cuban Cossacks. Bing Crosby hosting the Hollywood Palace TV show. No, you kids are going to enjoy our first act tonight because they do some wild folk dancing there right out of the steps of the Ukraine. That's the kind of work I used to do before I hurt my trick knee playing football up at Gonzaga University. It happened, you know, when Red Grange tackled me just as I was scoring the winning touchdown. You remember hearing about that, don't you, Harry? I'm not talking to you. <laughs> in the gift section under the Christmas tree, I promise you. But here they are now, the Kuban Cossacks. They're great. While they had traveled extensively, the Kuban Cossacks had not toured Canada yet. That would change in 1969, when the Kuban Cossacks accepted an invitation to perform at the National Ukrainian Festival in Dauphin, Manitoba, through the intervention of Cecil Simchishin a keen supporter of all things Ukrainian, particularly song and culture, on the prairies. The Kuban Cossacks captivated attendees of the 1969 Dauphin Ukrainian Festival with their charismatic and energetic performances, which were attended by 50,000 persons. By the end of 1969, with 15 years of dancing, the Kuban Cossacks had performed in 21 countries with over 8,000 performances to their credit. From that successful initiative sprang an idea to bring the Kuban Cossacks on a national Canadian tour. But that story and others covering the following 20 years, the 1970s and 80s, is for the next installment of the legacy of the Kuban Cossacks. Послухайте закінчення цього опису творчого життя танцювального ансамблю «Кубанські козаки» в окремому репортажі. Ви довідаєтеся про досягнення кубанських козаків на світових стенах у 1970-х і 80-х роках та про їхні виступи по Канаді. was part one of a three-part series on the amazing and legendary Kuban Cossacks. It was narrated by Nadia Kazimira of Ottawa.
If you missed my interview with Nadia earlier this year, or would just like to refresh your memory, you can check out the podcast for the February 10th Vancouver edition or the February 14th Nanaimo edition, and you'll find those at www.nasholis.com. And speaking of Kozakea... Ron Kahoot with Buria from Toronto and that classic song that he composed called Fly Kozak Fly. For the very best in Ukrainian programming, tune in to Nasholos Ukrainian Roots Radio, our flagship show in Vancouver, Saturdays from 6 to 7 p.m., right here on AM 1320 CHMB on the radio dial and online at am1320.com. You can also catch the Nanaimo edition in Vancouver, Wednesdays from 11 a.m. to 1 p.m., on air at 101.7 FM or online at chly.ca. In between broadcasts, please visit us at www.nashholos.com. That's where you can find the podcast links to all three editions, as well as other audio files, transcripts, and more. There's also a link to our Patreon site, where we'll be interacting and sharing additional content with patrons of the show. And our proverb of the week translates as, No one knows where his fate awaits him. And with that, we've come to the end of our program. So one last toe-tapper for you, and you will need your dancing boots for this. We've got Melania from Edmonton with Ostafi's Odyssey. I'm Pavlina on behalf of all of us here at Nash Holos and AM1320. Thanks for listening, and Dobranich! <laughs>
Love this podcast? Support this show through the ACAST supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Thank you.